And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Now, I was told not to say this, but when's the last time I listened? Ask Michelle, don't do that. We got to go way further back than that. Uh, No, I'll I'll be honest with you, this is not my first time uh, coming before you with this message. Um, This is actually the second time I've come before you with this message, but I think uh, I've been praying and I, I do think that this message is poignant to remind us exactly what we should be doing during this time that we find ourselves in. I ended the service last week by asking the question, how then do we live? How then shall we live? This is from Psalm 39, also uh, a very good book by Francis Schaeffer on uh, Christian ethics and Christian uh, uh, thought uh, is, is, is entitled, How Then Should We Live? So if you, if you need a book to read during this time, one that I would recommend would absolutely be that by Francis Schaeffer. But... Uh, basically in light of us living out gospel love, living out covenant love, we must ask, what does this life look like? Right? What does this life look like? Right? I took my grandmother a few weeks ago to go car shopping. Anybody going car shopping lately? I tell you what, I'm not, I'm not a European person at all other than the fact that I do watch English football Um, And I I guess I do drink tea, so maybe I'm a lot more European than what I think. But to be honest with you, car shopping is awful right now. So much so that I kind of just wish that there was just a big bus line or monorail system. That's the Disney coming out in me uh, to be able to take me everywhere I need to go. Uh, And I was taking her through there, right? And I kind of warned her on, hey, uh, you're going to be talking to this dealer it's going to be awful. You're going to wish that you would go deaf, you know, right? And, and, and during this time, he's going to reveal to you some interesting facts about this economy. Uh, the fact is, is that we don't have a 2% interest rate like we did uh, just a few years ago. It's gone up quite considerably, right? And, and I, I told her, I said, listen, also at the same time, they actually have cars on the lots now. And, and they jack up those prices a lot now. They charge things like delivery fees to these lots. And so what you remember about you know, car dealing uh, is very different from how it is post-COVID. And she blew me off, you know, as one does to one who's younger. Uh, it blew me off. Said, I've been buying cars all my life. You know, I've, I've got this. And we got up to the dealership. I won't say which one, uh, but we got up to the dealership and we were talking with the representative. And all of a sudden he began to lay out all the things in front of my grandmother that I had explained that they're going to jack up the price, you know, all this amount because of the how they've had issues with sto- uh, uh, supplies, you know, in, in recent history. Uh, the interest rate, which she just was flabbergasted, couldn't believe, and, and began to talk to her about all these things. And I looked to her and I said, well, Granny, I told you all about them, right? It's like, you know, I'm a crumb, so, you know, I love to say I told you so, right? You know, I, I told you so. And... Um, and, and my grandmother said, yes, but I did not believe it until I saw it, right? I didn't believe until I saw it. And so we come to the book of Isaiah. 
This is not a minor prophet. This is a major prophet. As a matter of fact, Isaiah is a prophet mainly to northern Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, but also as well he does speak a little bit to the southern kingdom of Judah uh, as well. But his main message is that the Lord is going to destroy Israel. The Lord is going to destroy northern Israel. And he's going to do so by a foreign army. This is interesting because at the time when, when Isaiah is called, uh, I, Israel was actually a superpower. Uh, they were probably one of the strongest militaries in the region. And so that would be like someone coming up to us and saying uh, that uh, the United States of America is going to fall soon to a nation such as Canada. You know, right? <laughs> yeah, someone was like, that can't happen. Well, that's kind of what's going on here. The people sat there and said, there's no possible way that could happen. Even until the last moment of Isaiah's ministry, the people began to say, okay, this could probably happen, but it's only going to be for a small season of time. And instead, Isaiah says, no, this is not what the Lord has told us. This is not what the Lord has called us to do. And the reason why is this. Is because we have sinned. We have failed to keep our covenant. And so, the entirety of Isaiah's, uh, uh, Isaiah's ministry is going to Israel and telling them that they must repent. And the people do not pay attention. And so, then the question is, well, what do we do in that time frame. What do we do with that when someone rejects everything that we have to say, though what we're saying is the absolute truth? Well, it's quite interesting because we're going to read about that here with Isaiah's calling. So Isaiah 6 uh, is the uh, moment when Isaiah is purified and called to ministry to go around to Israel and Judah and proclaim to them that they must repent. So let us read beginning verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Notice Isaiah's response. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with his tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. We're actually going to stop right there. And we'll get to the last part of this chapter here in just a second. Before we do, let's take this time and pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. We praise you for your word and how you continue to talk to us through it. Father, we praise you for the gift of being able to come here and to, Father, seek guidance. Father, to seek truth. Father, I pray that that would be done today. And just as we sang, Father, yet not I, but through Christ in me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So reading here the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 6, we see that it says in the first verse, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, remember what I said. This is the height of the kingdom of Israel. They were the superpower. The King Uzziah had been on the throne for 50 years. And so when King Uzziah died, it was a national day of mourning. It was a national grieving period. Majesty had been lost. The only thing I can think about, and actually what's quite interesting is I, I watched a sermon by R.C. Sproul on Isaiah 6, and he mentioned the coronation of Queen Elizabeth uh, and talking about the train of the robe and, and all that coming here later. But to be honest with you, I immediately thought of the loss of Queen Elizabeth. We had just, uh, was it last year, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and how um, England began to mourn and how we saw this pomp and circumstance of mourning and grief and how people came onto the streets of London and began to mourn and began to weep and began to uh, question what was going to happen to the nation now. She had been queen for, I believe, 76 years, if I'm not mistaken. was the longest reigning monarch uh, in English history. And, and so when she died, it very much was the stability, the foundation of the nation had crumbled and people were lost. And this is the moment that Isaiah has been called by God to go to Israel and to give them a word that he was going going to give to them. And so Isaiah then comes into uh, this vision uh, at the year of, of mourning, of, of great angst and anxiety. And it says that he says, excuse me, he says, he writes down right here, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. Now it's interesting here, and I appreciate uh, watching R.C. when he was talking about this, uh, is that here the term Lord is Adonai. So typically, whenever uh, a Jewish scribe was going and transcribing, uh, they would write out the Torah. Uh, they would write out uh, the Hebrew scriptures. They would actually write and speak aloud. And whenever they came up to the name Yahweh, which is the same name that you find in Exodus when Moses meets God at the burning bush, and Moses says, well, who do I say sent me? He says, I am Yahweh. Well, the, the scribes, or the scribes, excuse me, would actually, when they came up to Yahweh, they would actually say the term Adonai instead because it was uh, a holy term. But also we know Adonai as meaning the God of love. But what's interesting is that throughout the rest of this passage, God or Isaiah does not address the Lord as Adonai. Instead, he addresses him as Yahweh because the call that he has been given to go. Who has sent me, Moses said? Yahweh has sent you. Here I has been given this uh, message to give to Israel, and here he makes very clear who is sending him. It is Yahweh God. It is the God of Israel and Judah who has sent him forward with this message. And so here we see Isaiah. He has a vision. He's before the Lord in the throne room, and it says he sees him high and lifted up. Right? He's elevated. He is above us. Right, where he's above Isaiah. I would kind of say kind of like how I am right now to y'all, but I don't want you to take that me the wrong way. Uh, but right, but normally when we, we need to pay attention to someone, we need to think about someone, we need to listen to someone, right? We elevate them so everybody can see and we give some sort of reverence to that person. Uh, so uh, I, I, I know y'all won't do that part to me, but you know, uh, but y'all kind of understand what I'm talking about there. But we see here that Isaiah is literally looking up 
and beholding the glory of God. He is almost in a standing prostrate uh, uh, stance, right? Sitting before God and beholding the majesty and glory that is God. It says here that the train of his robe filled the temple, right? Kings are ornate and they have many beautiful things and, 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 and Isaiah likens it right here to a train filling the temple to kind of give a display of just how powerful God looks here. Just who is it that he is talking to? And then it says in verse 2, and him and above him stood the seraphim, each having six wings. Right? Here we have angels who are flying around with six wings with two covers they cover their feet with two they cover their eyes the the glory of the lord is so great that they can't see it is it's almost kind of uh it's almost kind of like uh, uh it was likened to one pastor said um the eclipse right you can't look at an eclipse full on right because if you do you know right it can hurt your eyes and here we see that the seraphim are having to cover their eyes they're also having to cover their feet this could be very similar also to exodus when when moses comes before god and and god says take your sandals off for you are standing upon holy ground we see they cover their feet and with two they fly around and notice what they are saying as they call to one another they say holy 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 is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Right? Now, we live in the south. Probably the closest we get to this is being at the national championship. And your team winning. I mean, let's be honest. Right? I mean, when the president wins, it's like, ah, they're going to fail us, whatever. But... The University of Florida and Florida State, right? They, they go through periods to whenever you finally sit there and you see them holding that crystal ball. You are just glad and you're filled. And if you're like me, you can't wait to shove it in everybody's face who <laughs> disagrees with you, right? But, you know, so, so this, uh, this past week I told Joseph uh, that he should watch uh, on Netflix. They got a thing called Untold Stories About Athletes. And they have this series on the University of Florida uh, and our 06 and 08 National Championship Games. Which, by the way, local note, you can see Jim Tart. He pulls up in one thing and I, I sent a text message to Sunshine and said, I saw your husband on Netflix. Can I get an autograph? Uh, but, uh, but no, it shows the 06 and 08 National Championship Games. And I immediately felt exactly what I felt then, right? I saw us just stomping everybody to the ground. I was at the Florida State game when Tim Tebow had all the garnet covered over him. And he was just going around like a crazy person. And I remembered every bit of that. And I began to say, man... Why couldn't we have done that against Utah? But the, the, the important part about that is this. We saw the greatness on display. And we began to become awe-inspired that, that these kids on the football gridiron could accomplish so much. And yet more so, here we see Isaiah before the Lord of hosts, seeing the train of God cover the temple seeing the angels flying around and declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And the foundations of the temple shaking with the voice of him who called and, and smoke feeling 
This is awe-inspiring. You don't have an experience like this and leave the same. And notice Isaiah, in the midst of this, calls out in verse 5. He says, Woe is me, for I am lost. Here I am before this good and holy God, and yet I see my sin. He says, For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah recognizes his sin in the face of a good and holy God. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are here today and you have not experienced your sin and the depravity of who you are before a good and holy God, let me tell you this, you have not come before the Lord. Because the only, the only response you can give as a sinner before a good and holy God is just as Isaiah has been saying, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am not holy, for I am a man of unclean lips. So I want you to notice this first. Isaiah, in this process, recognizes his sin. He recognizes who he is at that moment. Years ago, actually up in the upper room, uh, I was sitting up there with a bunch of high schoolers, and we were going through the New Testament. Uh, we did like a year through the New Testament. I think my mic just went out. Back. Oh, nope, it's out again. Nope, that was back. Okay. Uh, how, how about this, guys? I'm just going to switch over. Is that cool? All right, true that. Let's uh, pardon the interruption. Hello? Hello? Ooh, I get echo. Echo. All right. So... Uh, so back years ago, I was up in the upper room, and I was, uh, uh, we were studying the New Testament, and while I was up there, I had, there was one student who was also up there, uh, and he just, he, he just said, you know, I'm just so excited about what the Lord is doing in my life, and, and how, uh, the Lord has given me so much, and, and how I have seen him just change who I am as a person and as a human being. And everybody started clapping. But I'll be honest with you, I felt awful. Because then I popped up and I said, uh, guys, I got a question. Every time I read scripture, I just see how bad I am. Like, I, I've had, <laughs> Logan's like, yeah, I did. Uh, so, but yeah, no, I, every time I read scripture, I just see my depravity on display. When I see the holiness of God, all I can think about is just how, how much I fail. And how much whenever I try to do my best, how on my own I always fail and how I just don't live up to the, the standard of Scripture. And I'll never forget Doug Sanders, our youth pastor at the time, looking at me and saying, that's exactly right. That the walk of the gospel is similar to that of a shower. Right? You, we just had a hurricane, power was out, some of you stank during that time, and so you took a shower. Right? And so as you shower, right, like getting the Word of God, allowing it to clean over you, right? Depending on how much light is in the room is how good of a shower you're going to have, right? If the, if the shower is dark, you go through muscle memory, right, of how you scrub down and everything like that. And then, you know, after a while, you smell the vanilla and all that stuff. You're like, okay, I've done good. And then what happens? You step out into a little bit of light, and you see that big old dirt patch that's right there, right? Or that big old brown patch that's right there, right? And you sit there and go... Oh, man, right? I missed a spot. And the gospel is very similar to that. Every time that we come before the Lord, he continuously shows us 
different spots, different impurities that we have. So that way we can confess that over to him. So we can give that over to him so he can continue to clean us through his word. So that way when we see him and say, see him in his glory and holy, 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 we look at him and we say, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips. And I want you to notice this immediately when Isaiah sees the Lord, he understands exactly what sin he is struggling with. He says, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. He recognizes his sin. He recognizes his failings. But also notice this. The moment he sees the Lord, he says, look where I am, but also too, look at what my people need. Woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He sees the need around him. The fact is that Israel at this time was not worshiping Yahweh God. As a matter of fact, since their inception as the northern kingdom of Israel, they never maintained that temple worship. Uh, Jeroboam set up two calves, one in the northern part of the, the, the country, one in the southern part of the country. So you could have an idol near you and said, Israel, these are your gods. And come and worship. Israel had never worshipped God corporately as a nation. And Isaiah sees who the true God is and says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. How? For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And it's at this time that in this moment that he recognizes his sin and he confesses his sin. Woe is me, for I'm a man of un- I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips that the Lord provides. A seraphim comes right down with a coal, touches his lips, and says, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. If you're in this room today and you understand that you are lost and that you are in sin, know that your sin must be atoned for. We'll get back to that here in just a little bit. But then we get to the second part of this passage. We see that Isaiah's sins atoned for. He sees his need of, of a Savior. He sees his need for the people to understand who this holy God is before him. And then we see verse 8. It says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. Isaiah sees the need for his people. He sees the need of the people around him and the need for the gospel. And immediately the Lord says, Who am I going to send? And in this moment he says, Here am I, Lord, send me. Right? Probably many of us have thought about what would happen if we got picked. Okay, excuse me. This is where I'm going to come out with the non-athletic side. If we got picked first and just went out balling on the, on the basketball court, right? Uh, a couple of us have experienced that. But, you know, there's always that dream of, like, I'm going to win the national title, right? Or I'm going to do this. Or I'm going to do that. We just are looking forward to that moment of someone saying, oh, man, who do we need? And then, you know, we sit there like, oh, Tyler Pierce is who we need. Let's do this, right? And so we, we, we look forward to that point, right? And to be honest with you, many pastors struggle with this, right? Many pastors uh, that I came through in seminary and, 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 and lived with in the dormitories were very arrogant because they thought, well, now that the Lord has me to do his work, now we can get things going. Because for the past 
apparently 6,000 years, we have done nothing. And so, or the Lord has just been sitting on his hands, right? And, and so, you know, we, we have this, this pride and this arrogance that comes forward and sits there and says, all they need is me. But notice this, Isaiah does not come this from pride or arrogance. Instead, he understands the need of the people. He has seen the Lord in his glory. And he understands that the people need to have an experience with the Lord just as he has. And so the Lord says, who shall I send? Isaiah says, I have experienced this. Send me. So he is given this commission to go. He is given this calling to go. And then the Lord tells him exactly what his calling shall be. Verse 9, it says, And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Notice what Isaiah's calling is to. He is called to go and tell these people about who this God is that he has just experienced. And God says, listen, no one will pay attention to you. No one will heed your word. Nobody is going to listen. That's not normally what we think of when we think of calling. We normally think of this, brand, uh, this big, grandiose affair. And yet when Isaiah, prophet Isaiah at that, we got a big book that he writes a lot in. We see that God tells him, listen, you're going to talk to people and they ain't going to listen. And so then... The natural question after receiving this bad news that you're going to go tell everybody just how good and glorious and holy this God is and they're not going to pay attention is what? Well, he says it right here in verse 11. He says, then, I'll, then I said, how long, O Lord? <laughs> right? How long must I endure this? And he said, until cities lie and waste without inhabitant, the houses without people, and the land is desolate waste, or is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like the terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. God tells Isaiah you are going to continue until the end. The entire time, no one will pay attention to you. So the question is then, how should we then live? How should we live as a covenant people who's been given the commission, just like Isaiah here, of going and telling a lost and dying world that they are in need of a Savior? How then should we live? Well, first off, we must realize our sin and its hindrance to the gospel and repent. The truth of the matter is, is not one of us in this room is without sin. And whenever we come in face of our sin before a good and holy God, our response must always be, woe is me. Woe is me. Right? Two, we must look and see the needs within our church, within our community, 
within the world. Isaiah says it right there, right? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. We must recognize that the world around us is lost, and it is in need of the gospel. And then number three, we must go when sent, no matter the consequences. We must stand firm, no matter the consequences. The truth of the matter is this. We're going to face difficult times. We are facing difficult times right now. Because we are reckoning with sin. And any time you deal with sin, you deal with mess. But let me tell you some good news about this. And that is, though this sin is messy, though we see how destructive it is, God has given us the opportunity to repent, just as he gave to Isaiah. You might be in this room today, and you're saying, how is it then that I should repent of this sin? I do not know. I am lost, as Isaiah says. Well, the angel of the Lord says right here, your sin must be atoned for. And though in this passage, Isaiah's sin is atoned for through a burning coal, let me tell you this, that one day, 2,000 years ago, God sent his son Jesus to come and to live the perfect life that we are called to live, that we can't. He was placed on the cross and upon him was given our guilt and our shame and our sin. And he died for that sin. Because let's face it, our sin deserves death. But yet three days later, Jesus rose from that grave, thus defeating death and defeating sin. And now he offers to us life because if we submit to him, if we give him our sin, if we give him our shame, if we give him our life, he will give us life eternal. He will give us life everlasting. But we must repent and we must submit. First Baptist, as I said, we are dealing with sin right now. We must continue forward no matter the consequences. We have seen how sin hurts. We have seen how we have seen how even the smallest of sins brings utmost destruction. This is a time for us to take hold of the gospel truth that it is not us who saves ourselves. It is Jesus Christ who saves us. It is a time for us to come together as a covenant people, to come and look at ourselves corporately and say, where is it that we failed so we can surrender that over, so we can have that burnt off and atoned for by God? It's important for us to come together to show each other that we must continue to live out this gospel truth even when no one listens to us. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.